Amen. Thanks, Zach, Jeremy, Gathering Band. What a privilege again it is to be able to have this group to come and pull this off so that we can worship right where we are. And I want to encourage you now to take your copy of God's Word. I'm going to ask you to take the Bible and turn to Luke chapter 9. We're going to begin in verse 57 in a few moments. Go ahead if you want to and refill your coffee or get whatever else settled so that you can focus with us for a few moments on God's Word. I am convinced, I really am, that these are moments where God has given us that we can excel. I would even say to you that we as Christians, we are built for this. God has made us for these kinds of moments. When he called us to follow him, he called us to follow him through everything that would come our way. He called us to follow him in faith. He called us to follow him in relationship. And right now, we get that great opportunity to show the total surrender that we should have to the Lord Jesus. So I want to read this scripture to you. I want to show you the surrender that he called us to. And hopefully this morning it will encourage your heart and your life. There in Luke chapter 9, beginning verse 57, it says, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus spoke to three different individuals, and in every case, he called for their surrender. He called for them to follow him no matter what the consequences, no matter what they would face. Notice it says that Jesus was walking down. He was going toward Jerusalem. He had set his face toward Jerusalem, the Scripture says, and he was seeking to fulfill God's plan and his purpose for his life. And on his journey... There was this guy who spoke up and he said, Lord, 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 I will follow you wherever you go. The idea is, hey, Jesus, I know that you are a rabbi. I know that you're a teacher. I know that you are called here to instruct us. And I will go wherever you go. I want to take upon your rabbinical yoke and I want to follow you. Now, this guy was... You might say he, he was excited about the opportunity. He might have been even overexcited. I mean, Jesus didn't even extend the invitation. It was this guy who saw an opportunity who said, Jesus, I want to follow you. And again, the idea was, I want to sit at your feet. I want to learn. I want to know you. I want to follow you. This idea of following, it, it means to go down the same road as that you're going to join the person on this road and you're going to go and take the turns. You're going to take whatever path is set by this rabbi. So he says, I'll go wherever you want to go because I want to be your follower. Now look, in the church life, I love for people who are excited about something to volunteer. I love volunteers. Like when, when somebody raises their hand and they volunteer for something... 
it's like, it's like saying sick them to a bulldog to a pastor. I mean, it's like you get there and you find what they want and you try to help them connect in the area so that they can serve. I love volunteers. I didn't always love volunteers. There were times in years past, you know, that guy in the classroom or that gal who would always raise his or her hand. That, that I didn't like those folks. But anyway, I do like those who are excited about God's kingdom and who want to volunteer. But when we volunteer to follow Jesus, it's not just about excitement. It's got to be about counting the cost. What is Jesus calling us to do? I would say to you that when we follow Jesus, as we think about what true discipleship is, and as we follow Jesus, it means we surrender our future to him. We surrender our future to Jesus. So look at Jesus' response in verse 58. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man is nowhere to lay his head. What Jesus says is, do you realize what you're signing up for? I know you're excited. I know that you're overjoyed to follow me. I know I can sense it, but do you really realize what you are going, what you're going to do as you follow me? Do you realize what kind of path we may have? And he uses this example, an analogy. He says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. Now, foxes and birds, the idea, these are transient animals. They go back and forth. They travel the countryside. They travel the air in the case of the birds. But they don't have a place to call home. Jesus said, if you follow me, I'm not, I'm not going to give you a place to call home necessarily. I don't have a place to call home. Yes, Jesus ministered for many years in the area of Capernaum. But he never really had his own home. He had a borrowed home. He had a borrowed place to stay. When he would go and he would lodge, it wouldn't be his. What's incredible is, even as Jesus faced death and he was buried, remember he was buried in a borrowed tomb. In other words, Jesus couldn't offer this guy a whole lot of material blessings. He wasn't even going to pretend to offer him material blessings. He says, I want you to understand what you are signing up for. Those of us, when we follow Jesus, we need to hear those words. And we didn't know that life's not always going to be the best. There are going to be difficulties. When you and I follow Jesus, we didn't follow him so that we could get things out of him, that we could be blessed materially, I hope. Now, I know there are so many people today. There are even preachers or teachers today who have taught, if you follow Jesus, you're going to you're going to gain all kinds of things in this world. Oftentimes you'll hear it referred to as a prosperity gospel. If you come and you follow Jesus, everything's going to be great. You will experience your best life now. If you will just follow Jesus. How unbiblical is that? How unbiblical? Jesus never said everything was going to go just great for you. Now, I must say this. Because I can already see the comments on the social media there. I, I believe that it makes a difference when you follow Jesus. I believe when I give my life to him and I say, Jesus, you are mine and I'm following you. I believe there's a difference it makes. I believe he brings me hope. I believe he encourages me daily. I believe he gives me power to face the things that come at me. I believe there's a difference in following Jesus. I do believe that. But... At no time did I sign up to follow Jesus because I thought it would be easy. 
And that's what Jesus says here. Jesus says, it's not going to be easy. But whatever comes your way, you must surrender yourself to me. You must surrender your future to me. The life of the disciple will mirror the life of his or her Lord. So if you follow Jesus, you're going to find some difficulties just as Jesus did. See, this is why I think we've been wired appropriately for these moments. Because we knew that we lived in a fallen world. I hope we still know that. I hope we realize that this world is broken. And why is it broken? It is broken because of sin. It is broken because we have committed many types of offenses against the Lord. And it's the common lot. It's the common lot of sin that we see across this world. It's the common lot of our failures and the consequences of sin that we see all around us. We recognize that. And I believe because of that, we're equipped. We're prepared. For too many who followed Jesus just so that life would be easy, they're not prepared for this. They're not ready. But I say to you, those of us who have surrendered our future to Jesus, we are ready. Jesus makes a difference. But he didn't say that it would be easy. I read a quote by D.A. Carson. I wanted to share it with you this morning. It says, Little has done more to harm the witness of the Christian church than the practice of filling its ranks with every volunteer who is willing to make a little profession, talking fluently of experience, but display little of perseverance. In other words, as D.A. Carson was reflecting upon Jesus' answer, he said, it's not just about a little confession that you make. It's not just about a little experience. It's about signing up and saying, Lord, I give you my future. It's kind of like when we got married. You remember that? Some of you who are married, you remember the ceremony? I give this ring as a token of my love for you. I promise to be faithful from this day forward for better or worse for richer or poor, in sickness and in health, as long as we both shall live, or till death do us part, we might have said. Think about that. Sickness and health, poor, uh, richer or poor. What we're saying is we're committed to this. No matter what comes our way, no, no matter what tries to threaten our relationship, no matter the sickness or the health, no matter if, if it's, in, it's in riches or poverty, whatever else it is, we're committed and that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I want that type of commitment. I want you to surrender yourself to me. A few years ago, there was a book by Kyle Eidelman. Some of you may have read it. It was entitled, Not a Fan. Not a Fan. I read through that book some years ago when it came out. And I was challenged by that. Because I recognized there's a difference between a fan and a follower. A fan is one who can, well, he looks at Jesus and he adores Jesus. He, he thinks Jesus is a good person and really wants Jesus to be around. He, wants to, he even wants to cheer Jesus on. It's kind of like one of those that would be in the, in the stands cheering on this team that they so admire. So you, you cheer on Jesus. You're a fan. You adore him. You're in the crowd. You see him, and you can speak all the language, maybe. You may know every statistic about Jesus and the Bible. But Jesus didn't want a fan. He wanted a follower. 
And we're called to go down the same road in total surrender with him. So what I want to encourage you today is you think about future. Is you're unsettled right now. Give Jesus your tomorrow. Give Jesus your future. Surrender it to him. You did it when you followed him. You did it when you said that you were going to be a part of his team and part of his kingdom. Just surrender, knowing that there could be difficulties ahead, but those difficulties are faced with Jesus. Now, Jesus, I think, reminds us that we surrender our future, but look at verse 59. He says, then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord... Let me first go and bury my father. So here's the invitation of Jesus. Jesus says, hey, I need you to follow me. Come after me now. And what happens? Well, the individual says, I got, I got some other duties. I got some duties to my family. If you let me go and bury my father. Now, in the Jewish literature of the day, you saw how important the family was how important the family was in concept and in practice. In other words, it was so important that you were responsible to your family members, especially to your parents. You know, I was raised in North Mississippi, and for me, the idea of family was so essential, it was so important. And I'm, I'm sure my parents are getting to watch me now and, and all of that, and, and I'm grateful for my family. I, I came from an enmeshed family. That meant we were really, 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 really tight. That was kind of us against the world type of mentality is what I came from. So I know how important it is for the family. I, I know how you ought to love them and respect them. Uh, sometimes you have to have a little more patience. I know especially with somebody like my sister. I don't know if Andy could mute that, by the way, or do something. But there are a lot of responsibilities that we have of family members. It's, but listen. This guy says, I, want, I need to go back and bury my father. Now, there are some commentators like Herschel Hobbes and others who say that he knew that he would have the responsibility to bury his father. His, his father had not died, Hobbes said, but he was going to wait until that time when his father died, and then he would, he would fulfill his duty and he would follow Jesus. There's no, necessarily, there's no necessary hint of that in the Scripture. Uh, it almost is like, no, he needs to go and he needs to do something. But, of course, plan the funeral, the months of mourning that was required afterwards. In other words, he's going to have to wait. He couldn't just follow Jesus now. He's like, Jesus, if you just wait. Look at what Jesus said in verse 60. As he said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Let the dead, that be the spiritual dead, I think Jesus is saying. Let the spiritual dead go and bury the physical dead in this way. But you, you go and preach the kingdom of God. What Jesus said is that you have to surrender your present to me. Right where you are right now. Now, Bruce says that this guy had an undivided or a conflicting duty. He was trying to think of the duties he had at home. He had the duties to Jesus. And what Jesus clearly says is, you need to follow me and follow me now. I don't know about you, but I am the world's worst procrastinator. 
I mean, I procrastinate. I procrastinated almost all of my life. I remember when I was in college and seminary, I pulled all-nighters over and over and over and over. If that paper had to be due, then you could guarantee I would be up the whole night before. When I was in college, we had a computer out at the church, and that's the computer I would go out and I would use it uh, as I would write my paper. I would go out there, and listen, we lived in the middle of nowhere, I remember when my grandmother found out I was going to that church, she looked at me and she said, Reggie, she said, God must have been in this. And I said, why? She said, because you would have never found this place on your own. God had to show you this place. So it was out in the middle of nowhere. And listen, a church is kind of spooky when nobody's around. Even around here this morning, it's kind of strange. There are a few people who were in the praise team. Talk about preaching to the choir, by the way. I feel like I know what it's like now. But it's kind of spooky. And I would go out and I would uh, sit down in my office and I'd start writing the paper. And Leslie and I were married at this time. So Leslie would come out. This is what a wife will do for you. She would actually bring her, uh, her quilt and her pillow and she would lay in the floor and sleep because, you know, I needed her there if somebody happened to come up at that point. So she would and I would write. I mean, I would procrastinate. I knew and this would go over and over and over and over. But what I've learned is, for many, later will never come. Later will never come. So you say, well, I need to follow Jesus and I need to give him my present. But there's so many things I got to do first. I got to go take care of this and got to go take care of that. And, you know, my kids, I've got to get them all situated. And man, I've got house renovations going on. I just can't seem to, seem to plug into things right now. Oh, you know, my job is just pressing right now and it doesn't seem like I can get into the... Jesus says that you and I are to surrender our present to him. I say to you that we must give our tomorrow to Jesus, but we need to give our today to Jesus. We need to give our today to Jesus. The other disciples who had followed those fishermen back in Luke chapter 5, it says they forsook all. They left in that moment, Mark uses that favorite word of his that says that they left immediately. When you and I are called to follow Jesus, we are to obey immediately and decisively in our lives as we follow him. Some years ago, and I know some of my friends who are there in Picayune who are watching today, but some years ago I was there in a church and we had a guy who I loved dearly and still love dearly. His name was Keith. And Keith had been struggling about his decision to follow the Lord. If he followed the Lord, it would perhaps be perceived as a rejection to his parents and others who are of another faith tradition. And he really struggled with it. And he prayed about it and he sought the Lord. And I remember I prayed for him, his family prayed for him, so many of us. And then one day when I was giving the invitation at the end... Keith came down. Keith always sat toward the front, which reminds you that obviously he came from another faith tradition than those of us Baptists, because we would have been in the back at that point. But he came to the front, and he just bear-hugged me. Now, Keith was about six foot two, just a little taller than I am. And he bear-hugged me with everything that he had, and he began to weep, and cry, and he trembled. 
And he told me he was ready to follow Jesus. I've always marveled at his response. I always think back to him and even the moment of baptism. Because he had to break present ties in so many ways in order to follow Jesus. But you know, all of us have to give up some things when we follow Jesus. We have to give up some things. And we may have to give up some of our present activities. We may have to give up. But you don't forget, when you give those things up, you receive eternal life and you know Jesus Christ in a personal way. You and I, during these times, when people are looking at us, what we need to do is we need to be totally surrendered with our future and our present. We need to say, I have given the Lord my tomorrow, and I have given the Lord my today. But then look at this third individual. The third individual that comes to Jesus. Another also said, I don't know if you've noted this in Luke's gospel here, but in this narrative it says, in verse 37, or 57 that is, someone said, then he, verse 59, another, and then in 61, and another. We are given no real background because it could be anybody. It could be any of us, anybody watching today this broadcast. But another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who, at, who are at my house. This is somebody that says, God, I want to follow you. But there's so many things in my past that I need to hold on to. So many things. I, I need to go home for just a little while. If you let me go home, and I don't know exactly what he was going to do. It says that he was going to say goodbye, but maybe he was going to pack up some of those old things. Maybe he was going to make sure he had some things for the journey. He might have gone, he might have gotten some uh, pictures or something like that. Maybe he decided he needed a little Debbie for the trip or even better, a lemon ice box pie. And he said, I'm going to get these kinds of things and pack them up and take them. Or, or maybe, maybe he said, I, I need my phone charger. I need my iPad. I need all kinds of things before I can go with you, Jesus. You see, he was connected. He was connected to the things at home, to the past in many different ways. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. He says, You've got to let go of your past. You've got to let go of those things. You've got a divided mind. You're trying to seek me, but you're trying to hold on to the past as well. You can't do that. Jesus said, there's so many things in our past we try to hold on to. But what God wants us to do is to give him our past, to surrender it to him. So what we do is we say, God, I give you, I give you tomorrow. I give you today. But also what we say is, I give you yesterday as well. Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, the context of this is 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 19 through 21. 1 Kings chapter 19, 
verses 19 through 21. That's the background of this. If you've ever studied the passage, you need to go back and look at that because basically in chapter 19, there's the prophet Elijah who is the patron prophet of Nazareth. Jesus would have grown up hearing all about him. Of course, Jesus also would have been the Lord who was directing him at the time. But Elijah was one who had stood against the governmental officials and he was running. He was trying to hide because even though he had achieved a great victory, Jezebel had put a price on his head. And he ran, he sat down, and he was depressed. And he began to call out to God and and God spoke in a small, still voice. And God reminded him, God reminded him that he wasn't alone. What a precious message. Aren't you proud you aren't alone? And I know some of you right now, you may have not even ventured out of your house. You may not have seen many people. You've socially distanced yourself, which you should have. But no, you're not alone. He tells Elijah, you're not alone. There's 7,000 others who have not bowed to Baal. There's 7,000 others. And then Jesus, or God just doesn't tell him that. God gives him a friend, a guy named Elisha. And what is Elisha doing? He's out plowing the field. And Elijah comes by and he throws his cloak, his mantle on Elisha, which is the idea, you come and you follow me. You be You be the one that I will mentor and I will pour into. I will invest in your life. Come, follow me. And Elisha says, can I go tell my mom and dad, bye first. And Elijah says, fine, go do that and come. Elijah allows it. He says, it's okay. But here Jesus takes that same kind of scenario and says, hey, hey, now when you're following me, when you come after me, you've got to be willing to give up your past. You must come with everything that you have. Total surrender. To who who I am. He says, because if you put your hand to the plow, you can't look back. Now, I never have necessarily plowed a garden. I've never plowed anything much. I admit that. But sometimes, even just in the last few days, uh, the boys and I would go out and we would take weed and feed And we would like uh, spread it over the yard. And those of you, again, who say that's too early to do, that's great. Hold your comments. Don't put them on social media, okay? Don't need any gardening tips right now. I've got enough in life. I'm, I'm trying to work through. But anyway, we were going and we were putting our stuff on the grass. And, you know, we do this every year. The boys help me a lot in this. And they really are good. But sometimes you can get distracted, Like if somebody comes out and says something or maybe somebody drives by and they roll down the window and they want to speak a minute, you turn around and you think, okay, I just came down. Which direction should I go? Which area? I mean, did I do that part over there? And you know what? Invariably, it seems like we mess up. I would tell you if you come by, just drive by, obviously. Don't come by and speak at this point, but drive by. In four or five weeks, you'll probably see a multi-colored lawn. You'll see different shades of green. You'll see some brown and some white where we put too much. You'll see all those. Why? Because we got distracted. Jesus said, if you can't focus 
and you can't give me who you are, if you're always looking back to your past and who you were, how do you think you're going to plow a straight line? You got to. You got to focus. You got to give me yourself. You can't live in the past. You got to live in who I am and give yourself to me. We got to look forward. Now, some of you all, hopefully, all of these situations that we find ourselves in, hopefully, they help us clarify our focus. They help us think through where we are and what's going on in our lives and things that really matter. When we stop right now, maybe God is trying to convict us and show us that we've been dwelling in our past. We haven't even given it to him yet. We're actually trying to live with one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the past. In many ways, we would be like Lot's wife. You remember that passage of the Old Testament? God had warned Lot and his family of the impending judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah. They were to leave and they were not to look back. And that fateful look of Lot's wife. She looked back and the Bible says that she was turned into a pillar of salt. A few years ago, I went to the Holy Land. I've actually gotten to go a few different times. It's a great trip, wonderful time. And we would go down in that area where Sodom and Gomorrah reportedly was. And when we would go down, it's actually close to the body of water called the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea. Now, what was incredible about the area is its salt content, especially the Dead Sea. That's the reason nothing can live there because of its salinity. But this is what I realized. You can float in the Dead Sea. You, you don't, I have no idea how to swim. I have no idea. When I get into the big baptistry, I try to make sure I've got my life jacket on most of the time. And when I baptize here, well, I feel much more certain about myself. But I, the Dead Sea, I mean, I got in it. I, I didn't have much faith. I knew that's what they told me would happen is I would pop up. But I'm going to tell you, you should have seen me as I was trying. I, I've, I finally got out, I don't know, about a foot off the bank finally. And, uh, I, and, and I felt somewhat confident in what was going on. And I began to float. I didn't like people touching me. I didn't want people around me. I was socially distancing before I knew I was supposed to be socially distancing at that point. Because I just, I mean, I was scared. I was like, but it was because of the salt. I told you Sodom and Gomorrah around that area. And I had never thought of this before until I was there on that trip. And I thought about Lot's wife. I thought about how she had become what she was supposed to leave. Because the whole area is salt now. It's like she became salt just like the whole area. She had become what she was supposed to leave. My friends, you and I are not to become what we were. We're to become what Jesus Christ is working within us. We're not to go back to the fear that we had in the past. We're not to go back to all of those things that brought us comfort back then. We find comfort in Christ. 
That's the reason I tell you that as we think about discipleship and what it is, we are made for this moment. We are made for this time because we have surrendered our future. We have surrendered our present. We have surrendered our past. We have given him, we have given him our tomorrow, our today, and we have given him our yesterday. And that faith will sustain us through these moments. Because the same Jesus that had the authority to call us to follow him is the same Jesus that has the authority to take care of us each and every day. Some years ago, I believe it was the Navy secretary. His name was John Lehman. He testified before Congress. And as he was testifying, he used a phrase, some terminology that would reverberate over the military. He said, we own the night. And what he meant by that was that we in our American forces, we could fight at night. Actually, we could fight more effectively. He said that if we would engage people at night, he said that most of our enemy's capacity would be reduced to 10% of what they would have during the daytime. So it was ideal for them to fight at night. Now, I know things have changed somewhat in the years since, but we still have one of the best, we have the best fighting force that can engage even at night. Night doesn't trouble our forces. It actually gives them, a, it gives them advantage in so many different ways. Followers of Christ, we own the night. This is dark right now, and there are a lot of things going on, but this is our ideal moment. This is our time where we're able to stop and we're able to show our total surrender in Jesus Christ. This is a time when we can win people to Christ. This is a time when we're able to see revival and renewal take part in people's hearts and lives. This is a time for those who are not focused to come back and to focus once again to put their hand to the plow and to get to work. It is a time for us to be present in our preaching and our teaching of the kingdom of Jesus Christ this is a time for us to own the night and let's not miss that opportunity you surrendered to follow him no matter what I say to you follow him no matter what you surrendered you surrendered your future you surrendered your present you surrendered your past I say to you let's keep surrendering every area of our lives to him. He wants total surrender and who we are. And may we see, may we see the glory of God. May we see it descend upon our communities and our churches as we make a difference for who Christ is. If you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, do you know in these moments you could because he still says, follow me. Come on, follow me. There are consequences, but you follow me because when you see me in the relationship and the eternal life, it, it's worth it. Even when you count the cost, it's worth it. Today, you may never have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, but I would encourage you 
I would encourage you to contact us. Maybe you send your requests through a text. If you text needs at 97,000, needs at 97,000, somebody will get back to you and we'll talk to you about eternal life and what it means to follow Jesus. Some of you who are today, you say, Reggie, I've got some physical needs. I've got some prayer requests. You can either call the church office, it'll roll over to some of us, or you can text that same number, 97,000, text needs to it, and we'll do what we can. We'll do what we can to meet your physical and spiritual needs. But I want to pray for us. I want to pray for you and ask God to just help you and that he would help me surrender everything to him. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that today that you would help us as we recognize true surrender in our lives. Father, there are some people right now who are watching this whose heart is divided, whose heart is conflicted, whose heart is emotionally driven right now. God, I pray that you would steady them. I pray that you would allow them to surrender to you in obedience. Lord, you called us to follow you. You didn't say it'd always be great. You didn't say everything would go our way. You didn't say that we'd have the biggest houses and the biggest cars. But Lord, you told us simply to follow you in trust. And God, even through tough days, we follow you. Even when it seems like the world is crumbling, we know that you're on the throne and we follow you. And God, there are some today that you're speaking through, even through these events. Some who need to come to you in salvation. Some who need to be renewed in their own walk with you. God, you are speaking as clearly as you ever have before in these people's lives. And I pray, Lord, that they would follow you. They would surrender to you in everything that they have. God, in the coming days, we would see how you would take that which was meant for evil and that you would redeem it for our good and your glory. Thank you. Thank you for calling us to your work. Thank you for giving us authority that we can even own the night. We pray it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.